The vibes must have been felt far and wide. I don't know about you, but for those of you who are here, for me it was uh, probably one of the more joyous evenings, I think, maybe ever. (laughs) I just just loved being with all of you and loved... Loved just the opportunity to for us to sit together in the in the garden all evening, and of course it's nice being back in this big cavernous <laughs> space. It's beautiful here, but mostly what's beautiful is that is that we're sitting together. And as I think I spoke about two or three weeks ago, to me this is in urban life. This is the this experience is the most like going to walk in a forest where the trees are quiet and and we pick up the vibes of the of nature that's just unfolding in its very organic way and to me practice sitting still keeping quiet especially in the company of others it's like a, a room full of trees uh, reconnecting it's a back to nature practice so I really enjoyed sitting together in nature or outdoors and, of course, always here as well. I'm kind of weary today, uh, so I may I feel a little bit... Um, I feel like I've, I've just been mingling with the uh, suffering of being human today, just meeting with people, hearing some stories, a very strange interaction with a woman who came from the outside... Uh, who's not part of our group this evening? Uh, I really felt uh, the pain of um, her pain, uh, the, a level of defensiveness that couldn't even say a word to this person, and and so I started to reflect as we sat tonight. Even though I may have looked like I was meditative with no thoughts, I was actually <laughs> contemplating what I might speak about tonight, and I had a few different streams, but. In spite of the different streams, I had a few lines of a poem that I've sometimes read here from Hafiz or Rumi, one of the two, where he says, Live in the nowhere where you came from, even though you have an address here. And I've always really liked that poem. It goes on to say, uh, you, You own two shops. You know, you live in the nowhere where you came from. That's one shop. You own two shops and you run back and forth. One of them, you, you're quiet, you're present, you're enough, you're here. You're, it's your, you're connected with nature, with your true nature, which is nothing that can be quite be put into words. Just that whatever you feel when you're just here. Just being yourself, not being the idea of yourself, not in, not thinking about your situation, just connecting with life in that, that sense of immediacy. This is, in some ways, this isn't anywhere. So this is live in the nowhere where you came from, even though you have an address here. So the address here is your story, your identities, how, he says, how high, how low, uh, the, the part of you that's always measuring, am I okay, am I not okay, am I, am I, uh, how can I get along, what do I need to do, where do I need to go, who do I need to become, what do I need to have more of, what, I, what do I need to get rid of, this is the mind that's always measuring, he says, you own two shops and you run back and forth, 
you, you see that the shop that's all about measuring is the shop of fear. It's the shop of horrors. It's the house of horrors. It's the shop of... And we're all human, so we all have this. But it's the, it's the place that... It's the house that's, that's uh, as Rumi calls it in the poem, a fearful trap. Uh, always measuring this way, this checkmate, this way, checkmate that. You know, the whole... He says, close that house. Keep open the one, the house, where you're not selling fish hooks anymore. Where you're the free swimming fish. And for me, this poem reminds me of how deeply valuable it is to, if not live in the nowhere where you came from, to, as much as you're able to, to touch that place where you're, uh, what is it, live in, the, live in the nowhere, to touch that nowhere that you came from. And how do we touch that nowhere where we came from? We, as the poem that I read last week from Donald Babcock, we touch that nowhere where we came from at the, at the place where, where we are touched by life, where life touches us right now. Our bodies, our consciousness, being conscious, be present. Our hearts, letting them be, just feeling our tenderness. Uh, Our sense doors, the ears, the eyes, the nose, the tongue. All of our senses wide open. We touch the nowhere where we came from when we, in the moments of our life when we step out of our story we also step out of the the house of time we step out of the imagined future we see that it it's there is no future it's just an idea have you noticed we see that there is no past when we when we connect with this nowhere there the past is an idea called memory called Reflection called uh, reminiscing, uh, reviewing, um, future rehearsing, worrying, hoping, expecting. These refer to a play, the places that don't exist. They're all happening in this nowhere, in this unfolding now. Even now, we can't really find when we just touch life where it touches us. We can't really find a place called now. Where is now, anyway? That's a little tricky to think about that. Is there a compartment called now? And where does now stop and then begin? So if we step out of all of these concepts of now, of future, of past, so ideas of the past, ideas of the future, ideas of the present, some, some um, life comes back to us, some, some feeling of immediacy, some recharge of the batteries, some sta- steadiness, I don't know about you, but for me, it's very steadying to step out of the house of time, to step out of the house of my worries and my hopes. All of a sudden, I feel a little bit more stable. 
So the practice of meditation, of course, allows us to... It's not about just... I don't think the Rumi poem is complete, to tell you the truth. He says, live in the nowhere where you come from. Close the one that's a fearful trap. I don't think meditation practice uh, or the teachings of the Buddha speak of closing the house that's a fearful trap. The Buddha's teachings speak of of, um, learning to accommodate all the different houses, accommodating the house of time, accommodating the house of fear, accommodating being able to be comfortable being nobody, also being compassionate toward your somebodyness, toward your need to be special, need to be good, need to be better, need to be the best. Any of you ever have that one? To somehow bring the heart the heart of compassion to to the the body of fear to the I call it as you've probably heard in the past if you've been here I call it loving the house that ego built that that whole house of of somebody is such a uh, fragile structure it's just not possible to secure it because there's always somebody higher, somebody lower, when we're measuring equal, above, below, equal. It's just, it's a fearful trap. But what does it do? Does it help to reject this fear body? No. When we reject our fear, we just get more afraid, get more and more contracted. We shoot, we add insult to injury. seems like the only only answer is is love is that loving attention to whatever it is that's presenting itself and in that way of bringing love and attention to whatever is presenting itself in that very instant we bring the, all those different houses together there's just what's happening now as Ajahn Chah put it no me no you no self at all just what there is oh this is fear Oh, this is vulnerability. Ah, this is defensiveness. Ah, this is anger. This is sorrow. This is excitement. This is joy. Um, That's really... That's what life is. It's these moments, simple moments. It's, It's not how great you are. Not who you're becoming. It's not your accomplishments. Those are like quicksand. One accomplishment and then the pleasure of it fades away and then off we go again Uh, that reminds me I want to read if I can find it Mark Doty did I read if I read this last week it's part of my fatigue anyway Mark Doty is when I said we're off again on the on the next uh on the next round of what the Buddha called bhava or becoming, Mark Doty reminds us of living in the nowhere where we came from. Or really, in his, this way, he's just saying, live right where you are. Don't be so busy trying to find greatness somewhere else. Find it right in the simple moments. He says, fetch, his, this is a poem called Golden Retrievals. Fetch, Balls and sticks capture my attention seconds at a time. Catch? I don't think so. Bunny, tumbling leaf, 
a squirrel who's, oh joy, actually scared. Sniff the wind, then I'm off again. That's where that line came from. Muck, pond, ditch, residue of any thrillingly dead thing. And you, either you're sunk in the past, half our walk, thinking of what you can never bring back, or else you're off in some fog concerning tomorrow? Is that what you call it? My work to unsnare time's warp and woof, retrieving my haze-headed friend, you, this shining bark, a Zen master's bronzy gong, calls you here entirely now. Bow wow, bow wow, bow wow. Just another angle about where, where all of this path leads to, I think, is captured very, I think, humorously in this poem that I just stumbled on when I opened up my folder this evening. It's called Reverse Living. It's actually kind of a poem, but it's more just a, a kind of reflection. Life is tough. It takes up a lot of your time, all your weekends. And what do you get at the end of it? Death, a great reward. I think that the life cycle is all backwards. You should die first. Get it out of the way. Then you live 20 years in an old age home. You get kicked out when you're too young. You get a gold watch. You go to work. You work 40 years until you're young enough to enjoy your retirement. You go to college. You party until you're ready for high school. You become a little kid. You play. You have no responsibilities. You become a little boy or girl, you go back into the womb and you spend your last nine months floating and you finish off as a gleam in someone's eye. (laughs) I don't really need to say much about this, but we, we we are that gleam. We are that gleam when we step out of the the house of our identities and our ideas. At least this is what I feel like I connect with uh, every time I meditate. Uh, Rather than going somewhere, I'm actually reversing the life cycle. I'm back in the... I'm floating. Uh, I'm a gleam in my... I'm just a gleam. A spark of life. And so are you. Anyway, that's because otherwise we, when we're caught up in the in bhava, in becoming, bhava is the Pali word for this endless uh, wheel of time, this cycle of trying to become somebody. You know, it's it's inevitable that each of us is going to become somebody. You became somebody. You're here. You've probably you've 
you have certain accomplishments, certain things that are unfinished, certain things that are not very uh, wholesome about you, certain things that are wholesome. It's inevitable that we evolve and develop. And of course, we want to evolve and develop in the most wholesome way that we can, causing ourselves and others the least amount of suffering. So that part is inevitable, the developmental process. You don't even need to have a big personality view, a view about yourself, in order for that to happen. In fact, you will function 200% better as a human being if, it, if, it's not, if your process of development and unfolding is not uh, so excessively interrupted with the uh, personality view, with our, with our continual thoughts of how high, how low, how, how am I doing. Do you agree with me or no? So we're not going to rid ourselves of all that thinking, but we can begin to notice it. We can really notice all of the self-talk. We can begin to, as the Buddha did, say, Mara, I see you. This, this story that you're telling in your mind is d- describes somebody who doesn't really, as I often say, it doesn't really exist. It's just this personality view. It's the, what the Buddha called Sakaya Ditti. It's just a story. It's a view. And there's no way, there is no way to secure a view because it's tethered to thoughts. It's just, it's a bubble. You can't, you can't really get it right. However, you can put it to good use, as I often say. You can notice, ah, this is, this is the personality view. And in the very noticing, you can unstick it, unstick from that. You can unbind your sense of well-being from how it all turns out in the identity world. It doesn't mean you don't have developmental tasks. It doesn't mean that you don't have to kind of to straighten out the things that are crooked and, and loosen up the things that are tight and do all the work, heal your traumas, clear your mind. All those things are, they're natural. But you don't have to keep burdening it with the excessive um, identification with our story. That's, that's where the burden is. So not only can we become mindful of this in real time and see in real time the difference between the nowhere where I'm sitting and the, and the, um, the story of time and the story of fear, I can notice that. And in the noticing, I bring those worlds together. I bring the house of time, the house of fear together with the house of nowhere and no time. Like the in fact, I, that just reminded me of another trite little poem called The Frog Who Had No Time. Can you deal, can you handle it? As it describes at the beginning of this, this is a spoof on all the expressions we have about time and a story of a frog who lived in no time. Once upon a time, once upon a time, before time was invented, there was no daytime and no nighttime, and yesterday, today, and tomorrow weren't there yet, weren't here yet. 
And there were no watches, clocks, sundials, or hours, minutes, days, years, or fast or slow, and everything just was the way it was when it was that way. Cool. The funny thing is, we are at that time, before time was. Anyway, and things happened in no time. They just happened when they did. Flowers bloomed when they did. Morning and evening just came and went. Once upon a time, once upon that time, there lived a frog who lived in no time. He wasn't fast or slow. When he jumped, he jumped. And when he didn't, he didn't. He got where he was going in no time. Because in no time, it took no time to get anywhere. And anywhere was everywhere, so he was really where he wanted to be all the time. He was always on time wherever he went. <laughs> he, he got where he was going before he left. This is it. This is actually quite profound. <laughs> he did not have to rush or hurry, because in no time he could never be late. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fine to live in no time and be where you are all the time? So even the mind that is caught up in time and becoming is something that we can use to, in the service of no time, use in the service of returning to, to the root, returning home. So one way is to be mindful of it. Another is to have a sense of humor about it. To every day because it is really painful to be caught in the, in the comparing mind. It's really painful in that measuring mind. To begin to have a sense of humor about it. To just see that's what humans do. Get a little space. Most of you have probably heard this poem from Kabir, which expresses so obviously that he had some space in his mind. And the, the practice of meditation is really the art of creating space so everything can be there. So that we're not fighting with ourselves all the time. So you can tell from this poem that he had a lot of space to just see the way his silly mind works. See if this coming week you can start to just laugh at how crazy you are. We are all, and I say this in a, in a lighthearted way, we are all mentally ill. And we might as well have some fun with it. Kabir says, friend, tell me what I can do about this world I hold to and keep spinning out. I gave up sewn clothes and wore a robe, but I noticed one day that the cloth was well woven. So I bought some burlap but I still throw it elegantly over my, my left shoulder. I pulled back my sexual longings, and now I discover I'm angry a lot. I gave up rage, and now I notice I'm greedy all day. I worked hard at dissolving the greed, and now I'm proud of myself. When the mind wants to break its link with the world, which just means being nowhere, nobody, it still holds on to one thing. 
what does it hold on to? It holds on to that Sakaya Ditti, that personality view, that, that continual attempt to become something that we're not in our minds. And we, it makes a lot of mess. So we have to both see this with humor, see it with mindfulness, but as I began this evening, to see it with compassion. Because the engine, the engine of our, at least this is the way I'm thinking about it right this moment, the engine of this constant pursuit of good, better, best, this constant uh, demand that we, that we get from here to there, that trance of time that we enter into over and over, the engine of that is very innocently an attempt to find some relief from the, the suffering that we experience, the pain that we, we all have in one form or another, the pain of, of our existential condition, of being so at the mercy of, of birth, sickness, old age, and death, the inevitable cycle of life, the, being at the mercy of all the the forces that have conspired to make us who we are, our parents and our culture and all these things constantly impinging on this on our tender hearts. The the inevitable decline of these bodies that where we have such a very such a strong identification, our continual fleeting uh, sixty five thousand thoughts every day the vulnerability of having our mind be so out of control. Any of you noticed? The vulnerability of our bodies not doing what we w- want them to do. Can't tell you every week. I think it may be my role. I'm not sure. But I guess if anybody whose eyes are open will see that one day, every day it's one tragedy after another. It's... What seems like a tragedy, it is just how it is. Every, you know, there's illness and there's untimely illness. There's, there's untimely deaths every day. Today, ah, even when I think about it, I get furious. This, this imbecile city town council in this town in Tennessee voted against a countywide... Remember, think of countywide, statewide, countrywide, the com- what's good for the, co- for the commons, the common good, voted down a, a countywide fire department so that everyone would have be, trust that they would have a fire department. And instead, separated out the local fire department, and even though the, the community people pay taxes for services, they decided to make the fire department a, an electable expense. And people, in order to get fire protection, have to pay $75 a year. And it just so happened that a fellow in a little town in Tennessee uh, had a fire in his house. I, I, this may make me cry, so... Because the, the worst of the story is that a fire broke out in his house. The first responders came, and first, before they would put out the fire, they had to check to see whether he paid his $75. He had not paid his $75, so they let the house burn to the ground. 
I hate to, I, I've got to add this piece just to, for, the, for the impact, even though this is, this is the part that just kills me. Three dogs and a cat perished in the fire. And then, of course, because they didn't put the fire out, it lit the neighbor's house on fire. And they checked, they found out he had paid us 75, so they put that fire out. Have we lost our minds? When we live in the, when we, this is hard to bear. This level of ignorance and a lack of common sense and a lack of care for the commons. And this is the, this is the, the epitome of the, I, I'm going to get political here. This is the epitome of this completely inane view about less government. Have you heard that story over and over? Does, do people want to give up their fire departments and their police and their, and their... You know this story. I don't need to get into it. It's craziness. Now I'm kind of getting off the, my Dharma seat here. I'm going to try to get back on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a delicate thing to take this seat because I don't, you know, I, I want to, I want this to be a big tent that, you know, that really welcomes people having all kinds of different views. And I know that this is what's triggering um, uh, my personality view when I say my sense of, um, uh, of being offended by certain views and opinions that I think are not really, they have, they don't have common sense to them. They don't have heart in them and. So that drives me nuts. And so I have to work with that. That's my personality view. That's a form of attachment that brings suffering to my heart. Please. Thank you so much, Kamasi. It's been a great joy to have you here. Good luck, good luck. So, where were we? <laughs> uh, personality view. Oh, yes, compassion toward... Yeah, just a- along with this story, this poor... This, just the, how many... How much pain there is affected by ignorance and caught up in ideas and views, and so I have to work with my own views and ideas. But all of the the engine behind all of this is a desire to 
to uh, find relief. Many people say less government so they don't have to pay as many taxes because they think they'll be happier and that they forget that it may not be the, for the benefit of the common. So the, the engine is innocent in all of us. And the interaction I started to speak about tonight about the, with a person who was came in and asking some question, a level of defensiveness that I haven't dealt with so much in my uh, my life, but you could see the engine is wounding, is deep pain, and so all of us. It, I heard talk to someone today who had, who was in a relationship, and they were just railing at each other, and and had all kinds of shame. But I kept thinking, what's the, you know, what's the tender underbelly of this? What is the engine? And that 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 those tender places in ourselves need love and attention, and. Uh, because our, all our egoism, all of our escapes, all of our, all of the, the, what the Buddha called the cause of suffering, it's not because we're bad people. It's just because we, we're ignorant and we find we search out a sense of well-being in ways that don't don't deliver, and just keep us getting more and more wound up. So, anyway, compassion toward ourselves, awake to ourselves, um, mindful, and. Last but not least, just a reiteration to, again and again, live in the nowhere where you came from. Keep discovering that place where you, beyond, where you cannot be uh, defined by your uh, failures or your accomplishments. They don't, whatever that in you, the, your true nature, is neither improved by your successes nor diminished by your, by your difficulties. It's... It's your true home. And it's always available. That, that forest, that quiet forest is available in any moment that you turn toward it. It's unconditioned. So that's what we do. To me, that's what we do on Tuesday night. We return to the nowhere where we came from. So may all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. May all beings be happy and know the causes of happiness. And... May all beings rejoice in the sacred happiness that's without sorrow. This is traditional reflection. And last, may all beings, if nothing more, grow in equanimity and serenity, able to meet the joys, the sorrows, with less reactivity, less grasping aversion. And last, a deep wish that our... Uh, our life, our work, our practice every day be dedicated uh, to the welfare of the commons, the welfare and benefit of all beings, uh, not just ourselves, but also ourselves. Any comments, questions before we stop? Please, Carlos. Someday maybe we'll have a community project to put it together. Okay, thank you.
Okay, well, let's just sit for a moment quietly. I'll hit the gong, make a few announcements, we'll go home. So forget everything you've heard. Forget your name, your age, your titles. Forget what day it is. Year. Just feel the life of this moment, this breath. from Noshul Campo Rinpoche. Rest in natural great peace. This exhausted mind, beaten helpless by karma and neurotic thought, like the relentless fury and the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara, rest in natural great peace. Rest. for your attention. A reminder once again that um, our room rental here is $150 per week. If you would be willing to add a few dollars or as much as you're willing to help support the room rental is much appreciated. It allows us to keep sitting here. There is the option of if you're so inclined to write a check to the St. John Episcopal Church with a notation line Mission Dharma and your contribution for our room rental will be tax deductible. And any cash or checks room rental goes in the Donna basket also uh, not to under, uh, not to uh, just talk about the room rental Donna. All teachings, for the la- mostly for the last 2,500 years, have been offered on a Donna basis, given freely with as much the spirit of generosity as possible, and those who have received teachings have generously played their part by offering support to those who have offered them, and that has kept the wheel going 2,500 years. So that's how we do it here. No charge, but if you feel to offer something uh, in the spirit of generosity, so it feels generous, uh, there's always the basket there. Much appreciated and allows this to keep going. So room rental, Donna, teacher Donna, all the practice of generosity. Thanks. Also help with the putting the chairs and the cushions away and the big bags and help carrying them to the back of the room. So thank you for your practice and please be mindful and heartful.